What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. I'm Ryan Coop alongside Adam Stewart and Trey Kolbeck, bringing you a great roundtable discussion on some of the hottest topics around the CFL offseason here this evening. Before we begin, I do want to mention we are a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. And as always, I want to acknowledge that CFC headquarters are located on Treaty 1 territory, traditional territory of the Anishinaabe Cree. Ojukri, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and the homeland of the Métis Nation. Now let's bring in the other two-thirds of the panel. First, you heard him here last week on our Saskatchewan Rough Riders 2021 season deep dive. The great Adam Stewart is here. Adam, how's it going this evening? Well, you know, I didn't get too much hate mail there from the other day from most of my Rough Rider Nation, so I guess I'm doing okay in yourselves, guys. It's doing very well. Uh, very successful uh, first episode last week. Had a lot of fun breaking down all of the uh, the ins and outs of the Riders' season as we closed that series off. Uh, and also here with us tonight, making his official Canadian Football Countdown debut. I mean, you had the intro episode, but uh, this is this is the first official one. Uh, the great Trey Colbeck is here. Trey, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing fantastic, boys. I'm ready to talk some football. Let's get at it. All right, yes, let's get at it. We've got a jam-packed show here tonight. We've got a lot of different topics across the board that we'll get into uh, around the CFL offseason. If you're interested in seeing the list of topics, check the episode description. Uh, We'll have uh, timestamps for all of them there. We'd appreciate if you check all of them out, but uh, if there's ones you want to uh, check out a second time, uh, you can do that uh, with those timestamps. well, uh, yeah, so we're going to go around the roundtable here tonight. Now, Adam, this was your idea. You pitched the idea for, for this, uh, this episode. Uh, so I figure it's only fitting uh, we start off with you, let you pick the first topic of the evening, and then from there we'll go around the table and throw a bunch out uh, as we go along. So uh, what do you want to start with here tonight? Well, you know, Ryan, I think we should start with a thing that's bothered and maybe some people thought it's great, some people thought it's bad. Uh the uh, ongoing saga with a Randy Ambrosi as the commissioner and the four down, three down report that was originally brought up by Arash Madani, everybody's favorite CFL reporter from Sportsnet. Uh, if you don't know the history of this, I'll try to explain a little bit here. The uh, Just after Genius Sports signed on to be a member of the, uh, uh, be a partner with the Canadian Football League, a report came out by Arash Badani essentially saying that the CFL is being pushed a little bit by Genius Sports that uh, they want to do four down football. And it, it began this huge speculation that the CFL was going to switch from three down to four down. And there was an uproar to be kind of mild about it. CFL fans did not like this idea one bit. And, yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? So the diehard CFL fans said, oh, no, this is not going to happen under our watch and started making all sorts of noises and even up to and including on Randy's road trip when he went around to each of the teams, each one of them. I know that question had had been brought up at each and every Randy's road trip. So eventually what happened is the CFL commissioner finally just said, look, this is not going to happen. And that report was false we will not be going to pour down football. Now, what it did was it made a reporter kind of look bad because he made the report saying they were very much considering it. Randy pretty much put a complete stop to that. 
and said, no, this is not going to happen. And followed by that same reporter, Arash Madani, going and saying, well, there was a league vote and a league meeting and it was a seven to two in favor of keeping the three down. That's why the three down is staying and throwing the Calgary Stampeders and the Toronto Argonauts who are owned by MLSE and I'm sorry, but I think it's Calgary Sports Entertainment Group, uh, kind of throwing them under the bus. So what I want to talk about tonight is, is this the right way of uh, reporting stuff? Or should the CFL just maybe get ahead of this before it happens? Uh, and what's your guys' opinion, I guess, on a little bit on the reporter on uh, Arash Madani? Yeah, so uh, my first, yeah. I think that the league should be in front of this. Maybe you don't put the teams per se to who voted which way, uh, especially on a topic because we all know how the true Canadian fan can be on anything. But I think the fact the CFL should have said, hey, we're having a vote on this next week. Fans, you have an input. Email your CEO, email your president, email your ticket rep, you know, get out, do something, right? Because if, if the NFL, and I'm going to compare to the NFL because <laughs> – they're the two biggest football leagues in North America. If the NFL is going to have a vote that says, you know what, we're going to change it to three downs. Don't you think that they're going to have that public? Don't you think they're going to have the final vote? You know, they have the final vote every time they have a CBA or a league meeting or the relocation stuff. They always say it was 25 to six like it's, or whatever it is, right? It's so simple to do in a team. And, and if you want, you're, you're, it's, it's only the CFL can shoot themselves in the foot and lose the diehard fans. The struggle is you need to get the new fans. And a lot of the new younger fans consider the CFL Bush League. And it's because of garbage like this. Yeah, that I, I, I totally agree. And I like what you uh, said there about, uh, you know, having fans reach out to the reps on their teams to give their input there as well. Like, like I have no problem. I, I, and I think I've said this before on the podcast. I have no problem if the league discusses the potential of what four downs would mean and whether it would help the league or not. Like, I, I think it's good to have the discussions. I think it's good to, you know, look at every part of your yourselves and see what you can do to improve potentially, but to do so, but then act as if you're not, and then get uh, uh, upset when people suggest you are when, you know, like that, the whole public handling of this I think could have been much better in terms of get out in front of it right away like I wanted I would love to know the timeline of when this vote happened versus when this info got out like is this something like right away the CFL could have been like hey yeah we discussed this uh no we at 722 vote we're sticking in favor like you don't I mean you don't have to go and throw the teams under the bus that Granted, if you don't, then people are going to speculate nonstop anyways, and that might cause some more damage uh, potentially there. But uh, I definitely think this could have been handled a lot better uh, by the league as well, and, uh, so most certainly. I was just a quick thought. You said does the, the Stamps are owned by this, like, Calgary Sports. Is that who owns the Flames? Yes, I believe the same group owns the Flames. Isn't it interesting that the two big companies, Toronto Maple Leafs, and then the Calgary Flames, like, you know what I mean? The ones that own an NHL team and have a lot more property are the two that are looking at four downs. But all the other teams that are either community owned or owned by one person, they don't they want to stick to the Canadian rules. I find that interesting. Well, I, I, I don't think it's a surprise to any of us, right, that Toronto was was one of the teams in this. Like, like uh, th their ownership, you know, ha has been, I mean, Toronto's been focused. They've had NFL games in Toronto 
uh, in the past, right? They've been big uh, supporters of the NFL trying to bring it to, to Canada. Like there should be no surprise on, on that side of things. Uh, I, I was actually interested though, that Calgary did vote in favor also. You know, I looked at it as a thing that we get, it was probably where the CFL, you're right, just the transition and the uh, uh, communication was absolutely terrible by the CFL. Uh, the moment that report came out, and this has been with a few other things with um, with other CFL reporters breaking news, and then they just go silent, the CFL. The CFL needs to get in front of these things. You're right. The NFL, they had a vote about overtime. They told everybody we were probably going to vote on the overtime rules. They said, okay, these two teams, they, they went and they got in front of it and said, yeah, I think it was Philly and Indy that said uh, we're not voting for uh, or that we're voting uh, introducing this new uh, overtime rule. And, uh, yeah, the NFL got into it and said this is what's going on and here's what's happening. Why can't the CFL just do that? Like, it doesn't hurt you to go and talk about um, uh, changing the league. That's where you have those Randy's road trips and everything so you can get your opinion out there. Uh if you didn't like how things were done, you can go and talk to the, uh, the, that's the nice thing about the CFL. It's a small league. You can talk to your local, almost probably talk to your owner on the street for all you know. Uh, if it's a community-owned team, everybody's the owner of the team. You guys can all discuss it <laughs> and go on from there, right? And go and talk to the president of the football operations and explain this is what we what we like or the manager or whatever you want to talk to. Uh the thing I didn't like, though, again, and this is this is my thing about a certain sports reporter that originally brought up this report, and I'm going to try to say this very nicely. I always take with my when I look at his reporting with a grain of salt because the guy, and I don't want to say this like I'm I'm blasting a media company. You got to look at who owns what in the leagues now. MLSE owns a bit of Bell is Bell Media owned. And thus, TSN owns part of that. They have a big say in the CFL. The other side of it is owned by Rogers. Sportsnet, where this report originally came from, from one of the reporters, Rash, always seems to have this little thing with the CFL that if there's something going on or even slightly controversial, they bring it up. And to me, that just doesn't sit well with me, uh, the reporting style of Sportsnet on this. But that being said, the CFL is at fault at first for not disclosing this. But I do want to get you guys' opinions a little bit on what you've seen over, like, let's say over the year or uh, so here with uh, with sports that's reporting on CFL subjects. See, I have a problem with it because for a company that has no real affiliation with the CFL, it's I, I almost take what they say even a little bit more serious because TSN should be sugarcoating the CFL, right? Oh, come watch this. It's on ours. But Sportsnet, why would they do that, right? Like, why would they push a sport that they have no re- – other than other than I think Rogers owns a little bit of straight, Toronto, Toronto, or Toronto Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment. But other than that, what real push do they have? Here's my thing, though. If you go and uh, have uh, TSN then – they could do the same thing with the Toronto Blue Jays, essentially, right? The Blue Jays are owned by Rogers, and yeah. guess what? They could they could easily do the same thing and say, "We're not going to cover anything on the Jays. Uh, we'll mention them the bare minimum in the way we go." However, it's a professional league; they cover the professional leagues just like anyone else. What I find is, unless the CFL is having an issue or there's a problem or there's something going on, that's the only day that I see something on Sportsnet. I don't, I don't usually see, yeah, you see the highlights. They spend maybe 10, what, two minutes on four games, and that, that's the event, uh, the coverage of the CFL 
on something. Again, they don't own any of the rights to broadcast the games or show anything, so I understand that. But you don't see the the other side of things where TSN is going and saying, I'm not going to show anything about the Jays. I, I think that's, to me, part of it. I agree with that, you know, where it's like, I would love to see Sportsnet dedicate a little bit more all-around coverage to the CFL so that, you know, when you are covering things like that, like, uh, you know, he, he, guys like Arash, like, I think they're great reporters that we just only see the negative things because those are the ones that are most mentionable, right? It's almost like the same as talking about an offensive lineman. Whenever they're successful, we don't talk about them, right? But uh, as soon as somebody, you know, misses a block and, and the quarterback get, quarterback gets sacked, uh, we're talking about what the offensive line did wrong. Same thing with ref. I see a lot of that here as well type of thing, right? Where it's, uh, you know, maybe a bit more all around coverage. What would, you know, kind of balance that out a little bit. But again, like you've both said, you know, that the sports that doesn't have rights to the CFL. So what are they going to do? They're going to plug the, 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 you know, leagues they have rights to and try to get you to watch the coverage for the leagues they have rights to, which makes sense. And, uh, I don't think, you know, uh, maybe this is another discussion for another day once, you know, the the closer to when the, the current TV contract and such are, are out for TSN. But I wonder what a, a model would look like for the league in terms of, uh, you know, maybe not a single rights holder, maybe, you know, some communication between these different sports. Uh, I think it could only help, to be honest, uh, to have it a little bit uh, more spread out across the board. No, I agree. I I think that if you can uh, if you can spread out your coverage, um, I mean, let's face it, CBC did a beautiful job of covering the Vanier Cup here uh, last year. I thought that they did an excellent job of it. I think that if you can get CBC involved, if you can get CTV involved, which is again a holder of the rights right now is TSN, which is Bell Media. I'm very surprised to not see CTV maybe getting a game or two, and especially you know playoff games. Uh, you see the NFL all over the place on CB, uh, CTV during Sundays and on TSN. I just don't know why CTV doesn't get the same idea and get onto that. Now, again, depending on how the TV deals rolled up. But again, things to f- uh, pursue in the future, for sure. Trey, do you have anything else you want to add on this topic before we move on? I was going to add to the TSN point why they talk about, I like Adam's point, why they talk about the Blue Jays. Well, the Blue Jays salary cap alone is 160, 70 million, where the CFLs is 40. So <laughs> you're right. You're, you're 100% right with what you're saying, but the Jays carry such a, not only a Canadian and American interest, but I do like what you, you do have a point. And I do like what you're saying about CBC and CTV. We can get to it later because I think we have a, another topic later about it but i think if the certain cfl change their playoffs to a different day then ctv comes a more uh more valuable so then they get cfl saturday and nfl sunday but we can talk about that later yes for sure uh let's move on to our next topic here uh trey uh what, what do you want to talk about here next well uh fanduel.com i believe it was uh, posted some over and under for win totals this upcoming season and I'm a big gambling guy. You'll always find me at the racetrack in the summer. So why not? Let's look and put some money down on some uh, on some win over and unders for the year. Um, that's, where's a good place to start? You know what? We'll start in the east here. We'll go with the Toronto Argonauts. 
nine and a half wins. I went through this. I went through the season game per game, picked my winner, and this is how I came up with it. Nine and a half. You can take this one to the bank, boys. Put it over. They're going to win more than nine and a half games. I see them easily winning double digits and wrapping up the East in the process. Yeah, I, I like that. Uh, I think the Argos early on are probably my team to to lead the East division. You know, they made they finished first in the East last year. Uh, they brought in Andrew Harris. They brought in Brandon Banks, Garrett Davis, uh, among others. The biggest thing for me on the Argos coming to this year, the first full year with McLeod Bethel Thompson listed going into camp as the starter. It's been very up and down over the past couple of years, uh, but. Every year he comes in. First it was, what was it, James Franklin? Then, it, not James Franklin. James Franklin? Yep. Yeah, James K. Uh, I was getting confused with Jermaine Franklin uh, for, <laughs> uh, from TSN there. Uh, but James Franklin, uh, then uh, Nick Arbuckle last year, right, coming in as well. So I, I think that's a good number for the Argos to hit the over on. You know, I look at it, and I'm still, like you just said, McLeod Bethel Thompson had an opportunity a little bit to run with the ball and uh, when James Franklin was faltering there in Toronto, and he didn't do much with it. That being said, I think maybe he's turned a corner. Yeah, I'd have to go with the over on that one as well. I think it's close, though. I think it's, it's, it's close, but uh, slightly over, in my opinion. I got two words for you, boys. Andrew Harris. As long as he doesn't get injured and there's no more failed drug test, he's going to run <laughs> and run the ball. He's going to pick them up Ws. Uh, especially, I don't know their schedule, but if they play out west later in the year when it starts getting cold, ooh, Andrew, give him the ball. I'm uh, I'm not as big of a fan of Andrew Harris, and I mean, there's probably reasons behind that <laughs> uh, that are probably on the other side of my green glasses. However... I just don't see uh, Andrew Harris being as effective. However, he is a huge improvement from what they've had. So, yeah, he's, he's going to be much better than what uh, Toronto had before. I think that you're still going to take the over no matter what. All right. I let's move on to the next one. I got the Montreal Alouettes. <sighs> My girlfriend's French, and she tried teaching me to say this in French, but I'm going to butcher it, so I'll just say it in English. <laughs> I have... Take the over on them. I like Kahari Jones coaching Vernon Adams. I think they're going to go over eight and a half this year. No, I agree with that. I I think that Kahari Jones is one of those coaches that players run through walls for him. He He's a heck of a good coach. Vernon Adams is going to want to prove that he's a, a quarterback of the future, or a starting quarterback right now in the CFL, let alone the future. He, he's got great backup behind him with Trevor Harris. Uh, Eugene Lewis looked very good last year. William Stanback is back. Th that's going to be a very, very good offense, and it can only get better. Yeah, no, over eight and a half. And I got to do the math in my head because now I'm, uh, you know, I've done the offseason deep dive series where we talked about a 14-game season for nine different teams. So now when you're saying eight and a half, I'm like, oh, that's tough. But then, no, 18-game season. Um so, you know, hitting about 500 here. Yeah, I would say that's right around where I have the Alouettes. Another one where I, I'm not sold on, on going big on this one necessarily, but I think it's one they're going to either fall slightly above or slightly under here. I have them kind of middle of the pack in the East. And, and that's just because I think Ottawa's gotten better. They're going to take some wins. I like what Toronto's done. Hamilton's still got a good chunk of the team together. Uh, I think Montreal uh, didn't necessarily make too many major moves this offseason. 
All right. This is my tightest one. Hamilton, nine and a half. I have I got them only winning nine games this year. They're going to go to Australia and down under on this one. I I actually think that they're going to go under as well. I I wanted to try to argue on something trade, but it can't be on the we'll Hamilton Tiger. Yeah. We'll find another one soon. Yeah. Um, no, I I just think with Dane Evans, I think that they really should have kept Jeremiah Mazzoli and let Dane Evans go. However, they oh, seem to, that's that's a bold one. I know, but. Uh, you know what? I just I don't think that uh, the Hamilton Tiger Cats are going to get over nine wins. I just I just don't. I, hmm. I it's hard to bet against them because they have been such a solid team the past couple of seasons. But I think I'm going to agree that they're taking a step back. And you know, I look at what they've some of the pieces they've lost as well, like losing Jalen Acklin, losing Brandon Banks. Like those are some big losses there. I do like that they brought in Lamar Durant. Uh, but, uh, now, you know, whereas last year you did have the comfort of them with the, the top duo of quarterbacks in the CFL, it's just Dane Evans now, right? If Dane Evans, uh, they do a Matthew Schiltz who isn't too bad, but, uh, yeah, I'm going to go slightly under is my initial take on the tie cast, just taking a bit of a step back again, because other teams got better. Yeah. I mean, you know what? I just, I look at that running game too. And with, uh, Sean Thomas Erlington there, Yes, he's a good running back, but he's not that elite court running back that a lot of these other teams in the uh, in the East have right now. So, yeah, go under. All right, we're agreeing too much, but I'm sure the West will be a lot. <laughs> but I'm going to need your help. I need your help on this one, Adam. 2009 Grey Cup. You know it. You know it well. <laughs> Who was the special teams coach for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders? I believe that would be. Uh, I. Uh, uh, Reed, what the heck? Are... No, no, I, Ryan knows. Ryan, do you know who the special teams coordinator was that great cup? I believe it would be the uh, the head coach of the current Ottawa Red Blacks, Paul Apolis. Right, so you have no problem. Paul is going to count to 13 this year real easy <laughs> in losses because he's going to go under eight and a half. You know, first of all, uh, I got to say it was Cavis Reed that was your special teams coordinator. No, it was, wasn't it? No, Paul Upleys was the offensive coordinator. Oh, yeah. I believe believe it was Paul Upleys' offensive coordinator that year, unless I'm crazy. I just remember the video of him throwing his hat down because he was on camera. Either way, my therapist said I can't speak of this anymore, so I got to switch it. (laughs) Regardless, uh, you know what? I'm going to actually, just for a change here, I'm going to go on the over uh, with the Ottawa Red Blacks. Here's my theory. They have got a quarterback now. They've gotten extra pieces right around that Ottawa team. That's going to allow them to pick up those extra couple wins that they needed last year. And I think it's going to come off the back of the West, unfortunately. It's going to be a little bit, it's going to sound crazy, but I think that the Ottawa Red Blacks are going to go over this year. I just double-checked on it. Uh, Adam is right. He was the offensive coordinator. But uh, I was thinking the same thing as you. I remember him throwing the hat down, that's why. Got, we got the position wrong, but uh, we were on the same page there uh, in terms of uh, who you were talking about. Eight and a half wins for the Red Blacks. I think they are going to be a much improved football team this year, at least on paper. But I want to give me a year of them gelling fully and, and the chemistry before I'm sold on giving them the over there. I think this is a team I could see. Maybe a seven and eleven season, which would be which would be just under there for Ottawa. You know, an improved year for them. But uh, you know, are we going to see the Argos team? 
the, you know, the Argos team that went out and bought everybody in free agency, had a good season in 2021? Or are we going to see the BC Lions team from, what, 2018, I think it was, where they bought everybody in free agency and they flopped big time? I, I think it's somewhere in the middle and I think it's slightly below this line. Well, regardless, Lapa was on that team and he screwed up. So there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's jump over to the West. I think we'll agree with my first two teams here. We're going to start with the two-time defending Great Cup champions, Winnipeg Blue Bombers, 10 and a half. I have them going over and, again, clinching the West Division. What's your guys' thoughts? Yeah, yeah, I'm, go- I'm going over on this one as well. Uh, I think... Uh, I'm interested to see what the West will play out as. I don't think the defense is going to possibly achieve what they did last season. Yes, they brought a lot of the pieces back, but like, like that was a, a record-tying pace last season. I think the defense takes a step back. I think uh, I like the moves they made this offseason, but uh, I still have them as a front-runner in the East, so uh, I'll take the over. You know, I look at the uh, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and there's two pieces that I really don't like seeing. One is the help behind Zach Kalaros. Uh, there's none, plain and simple. Uh, yes, the offensive line is still there for keeping him upright, but the other piece that always kept him upright was Andrew Harris. I think that the Canadian uh, duo there uh, for their new running backs, uh, Oliveri and Augustini, probably will do an okay job. However, I don't think they're going to be the Andrew. They're not Andrew Harris for blocking. And they've lost pieces in the receiving core. The defense has lost pieces, and they are getting a little more veteran. I'm going to go with the under on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers at 10.5. I think they'll get 10 wins. I think it'll be the under. Well, full disclosure, I think if Zach Caleros misses any more, like anywhere from four to six or plus games, their season's done. Their season's done. They, they won't even make the playoffs probably. If they do, it's going to be a third place and then they're going to have to end up playing in a cold mosaic and no it's not going to be uh and the fun. other thing i see and the other thing i see with that is let's face it the history on zach Kalaros is not favorable for him to finish a season yes last year he did because there were 14 games and even then he still had a few games that he was banged up in so to me like i said i'm going under on the bombers i, I will say this I, i'm actually not as doom and gloom if, if Caleros unfortunately does go down because I think Bombers are one of the teams that's most well-equipped across the league to deal with a quarterback injury. Like look at last season, Caleros had over 300 yards passing once in that game against BC. I think it was, he played well. He put a lot of touchdowns on the board, managed the game well, but uh, the defense, you know, led the charge on a lot of those games. Uh, you've, you've got a, a great roster around him, a great offensive line and place can make any quarterback look you know, manageable. Um, yeah, I, I still have worries as well, but I, I don't think it's, uh, I, I wouldn't have them necessarily missing the playoffs if Kolaros misses some time. The one thing, though, that I can bring up on that, though, is when Kolaros had a 300-plus yard game, Andrew Harris didn't have a great game. Lots of that relied on Andrew Harris running the ball, and when he wasn't there, Oliveri and Augustini had good games. Not like Andrew Harris, though, and I think that's, going to be the key if you have Harris and Kalaros gone I I don't know I think we're going to have a, a Tom Brady Bill Belichick moment here to see who it was that was really driving that rushing was it the five guys on the O-line or was it Andrew Harris and I think it was a good combination of both but I'm really interested to see who does better without the other agreed totally yeah exactly yeah. Oh, next we're going to move oh, we got to move to the Melonheads in Saskatchewan <laughs> 
They are nine and a half. Shockingly, I have them over. I think uh, I think Cody Fajardo will lead them to another home playoff game this year. What about you guys? Adam? Well, I guess, you know what? I, I agree with you on that, Trey. Uh, Cody Fajardo did not have a good year last year. I think he's learned how to deal with the Saskatchewan fan. Let's face it, dealing in Saskatchewan is a very tough thing. The only concern I've got about the Saskatchewan Rough Riders right now is the defensive secondary, which has lost a lot of big pieces, and that offensive line. If that old line can figure out what it's doing and that defensive secondary can get going, the Riders are going to be a team to beat. And, yeah, I'm going over. Well, somebody's got to disagree with the Rider fan, so I'm going under. Um the Riders, and you know, I, I I took one for this last season. I had them pegged as last in the West Division. They surprised me. I gave them kudos uh, for that. But uh, much the same as you said, I, I have concerns about the offensive line, that they didn't improve that this offseason. I have concerns about the secondary. Uh, if they can focus all the attention on the linebackers, yeah, they'll win every game because they are stacked at the linebacker position. Uh, but uh, offensive line, defensive backfield, I have a few concerns there. Also, running back, I'm interested. I'm mostly interested to see what happens. You know, William Powell out. Is it Jamal Morrow? Is it Shaq Cooper? Who's getting the rock this season? What are they going to do there? Uh, I'm not going to go and say the Riders are, you know, a five-win team this season. I think uh, I think I could see them being around 500 in a tough West Division where. You know, does BC get better with some of the improvements they've made? Does Edmonton get better this year as well? Uh, I think across the board, you're going to see a very balanced league with a lot of parity this season. Next, oh, we're going to go to the pesky Elks out of Edmonton. Seven and a half. Ah, Chris Jones, I'm going to make a little analogy here. I'm a big horse racing guy. So for people who don't know horse racing, just bear with me. But there's a guy in the States with the name of Bob Baffert all-time most winning Kentucky Derby trainer, but also has a couple dozen failed drug tests. So I'm going to go with Chris Jones going over seven and a half because he's going to push it to the limit and he's going to, I have them sliding in that third and final spot in the West this year. So uh, in terms of, uh, sorry, what was the line here? Seven and a half. Is that the number of quarterbacks in training camp we're putting the line on here or wins on the season? Win by committee. Win by committee, man. Next next man up, their numbers on a a chalkboard. I'm going a little bit under, I think, here on on the Elks uh, for wins this season. You know, they they did a lot in in the offseason, but a lot of it was – I don't really know what they were necessarily doing uh, on the field in terms of uh, bringing in the receivers they brought in. You know, a lot of guys, Darius Bowman, who since retired, since he was brought in, uh, Manny Arsenal, Caleb Hawley, for example, brought in there. Not sure what, uh, I'm interested to see how that plays out. The Deron Carter experiment is back at defensive back. Gotta love that. Uh, Chris Jones does bring a team to victory. I'll give him that. He brings the best out of his players. But the quarterback situation concerns me a little bit. Uh, Nick Arbuckle uh, was seemingly brought in by the old regime to be the guy, and uh, Chris Jones keeps bringing in more and more quarterbacks to make him kind of feel like he's probably not going to be the guy here this season. I think there's a lot of unknowns there. Bit improved maybe over the over last season, uh, but I'm not sold on it. You know, Chris Jones always always the saying of keep chopping wood. I mean, you look at that Edmonton team, they are trying to put some depth in there, and 
Uh, I could see the Edmonton Elks uh, possibly moving up a little bit in spot for two reasons. One, Chris Jones knows defenses, and Edmonton was not known as a really great defensively structured team last year. The offensive line was very rough last year. I don't know what they've done really to improve that. That gets me a little concerned. However, seeing Deron Carter on a field, doing Hadoukens all the time, trying to do whatever he can to fire up that Edmonton crowd is going to be excellent. I, I can't wait. If he's on the defensive side of the ball or on the offensive side of the ball, that's going to be fun to watch. Caleb Hawley now with the Edmonton Elks. That receiving core is getting very strong once again in Edmonton. I will go with them on the over, but just over. I think they're going to be probably 8 and 10, somewhere there. I remember my, uh, I think it was my interview podcast. I said, if one guy I want on my team is Deron Carter on an O'Shea defense, oh, man, if he was just able to keep his off-field talking to a minimum and he sat on that Winnipeg defense, I don't think we would be uh, arguing about that defense this year. But I think he's going to fit in real good in Edmonton. And I think Chris Jones, with a new ownership there, I think they're going to do whatever they can to win for the next year or two. And who cares after that? I mean, if we're taking wins off the field, not on the field, give me, smash that over 10 times in a row, right? Like, uh, huge wins for the Elks organization uh, across the board there. But uh, I'm not sure it translates onto the field in year one. Maybe year two. We'll see then. And let's face it, as a marketing perspective, Deron Carter sells seats, plain and simple. And that's what Edmonton has been looking to do for a very long time. I think now with that guy on the team, is as long as he doesn't cause trouble for other players and Chris Jones can keep him in check, look out. I think the Edmonton Elks could be even a dark horse in the CFL this year. Perfect. Now we're going to move into the next team. I got the other team from Alberta. Nine and a half, Bo Levi Mitchell. He's going under this year, I think. I think I believe Calgary is in uh, in the early stages of a potential rebuild. I think he's not going to do well. I have him only thinking win about seven, eight wins this year. So I'm going under. You know, I'm the same way. I'm probably going to go under. I'm not sure which Bo Levi Mitchell is going to show up. Is it going to be the one that was an all-star in 2019? Or is it going to be the one that you just wonder what in the world is going wrong in 2021? Uh, you're right. I think that how uh, that Calgary is starting to rebuild. I hate going and calling them under because that means they'll end up way over. Uh, but one thing I can't wait for, and this was also a little bit with the Elks, can anybody wait for Bo Levi Mitchell versus Deron Carter on the same field during a Labor Day game? Oh. Cannot wait for that. I'm going to disagree and go with a bit of an over here. And maybe it's just my brain is hardwired to always pick Calgary to be good until they're not. But I do have some skepticism on Bo Levi Mitchell. But if he falters, if he does get injured, I do like what I've seen from Jake Mayer as a backup potentially there. I think there's one big factor we have to account for. Yeah, Calgary didn't go out and make a ton of big splashes in free agency. But you get a full season of Reggie Bagleton, and uh, Bo Levi Mitchell and Reggie Bagleton have uh, shown an excellent connection. He's his go-to receiver, his first game back last season after rejoining the team, 100-yard game right there. I, I think that's going to be a big piece. I like that the guys they brought back on the defensive line there as well. You know, receiver Kamar Jordan's back also. Uh, Kadeem Carey was one of the top running backs in the league last season. Yeah, Calgary lost a lot of pieces, but they lose a lot of pieces every year. And then John Huffnagel works his magic come training camp and in the draft. So 
Calgary will take their step back eventually. I'm just uh, not sold. It's this season still. All righty. Well, I think we got one last team left. America's team from our friend Reed from the Markcast. Well, America, you can keep them this year because seven and a half, I think they're going under. I have them six and 12. Boys, well, I want to know what your thoughts on the Canadian duel at quarterback. You know, I'm excited to see the Canadian quarterback duel uh, <laughs> just to see what actually happens between Nathan Rourke and uh, – I'm sorry, I can't remember the other guy's name. On Michael O'Connor. Michael O'Connor, that's right. Uh, I'm very excited to see what that in- entails and also want to see what the CBA has for that. Maybe something potentially coming up. We never know. Uh, however, you're right. I take the under on BC Lions. That offensive line still is is suspect. The defense is, I think, is, uh, it's going to be okay, especially with the addition of Luches Purifoy. However, I don't think it's going to be the best of defenses out in uh, BC. I think they got to have more than Ryan Reynolds cheering them on. What do you think, Ryan? Well, they got Will Ferrell cheering them on too, right? That's all they need. Um, this is my – this is the one where flip a coin. It's either going to go way under or way over, right, <laughs> potentially, right? I think this one is going to be in mind that's a bit of a reach, and I'm going to say over on this, actually, for the BC Lions this season. I, I like the chance they've taken – and uh, I like what I've seen from Nathan Rourke. It's scary to take the over here, but I've been a little conservative theoretically on some of the other picks. So go big or go home. And uh, I, I particularly like that they've addressed the defense. The offensive line is my biggest concern that they didn't do anything there, but they, they overhauled the defense. I'm really excited for that. Also excited for another season of Brian Burnham and Lucky Whitehead. Uh, together in the same uh, receiving crew there. So uh, give me the Lions. Give me a bit of an over there. All right. I think that's all. And we got the Atlantic Schooners. I think they're going to go under this year. You know, they're going to go 0-0 and stay undefeated for at least one more year. Oh, just for the fun of it. Who's taking the Toronto and the Atlantic uh, Rough Riders in the Atlantic Bowl this year? Oh, we'll take. When's that again? Just I need to know season. Yeah, I'd say about in uh, I think first week of August. I'll take the Argos because there's a good chance Andrew Harris will still be healthy, <laughs> and uh, just so then you can be throwing your empty Pilsner cans at the screen for three hours. <laughs> oh, and like I said, I I think that myself the uh, the Rough Riders should prevail in that one. Let's face it; I mean, the people in Newfoundland and Labrador should come out and cheer for the Rough Riders and. I believe that they'll be making a lot of noise in the in the Atlantic Bowl there in Halifax. Uh, I'm going to go with the Riders, of course. I'll go with the Argos, uh, and this has nothing to do with my team affiliation. I like their all-around roster for this coming season. I think the Argos are going to be a very strong team. I think the Riders uh, will be, you know, take a, a bit of a step back, maybe uh, close game, but I'll go go Toronto there. Uh, what four or five months before the game happens. <laughs> Well, let's get into our next topic here then, I think. Unless, did you have any more uh, more odds to go over there, uh, Trey? Just, I think just a value pick for great cup odds. If you any of your listeners are looking, you know, got an extra $10, I would throw it on the Edmonton Elk, 16-1 to 1 right now. They were 18-1 to 1 a couple weeks ago. Uh, so I don't know what happened that made that change. But, you know, 16-1 to 1 odds 
on Edmonton. Like we were just talking about, Chris Jones might do anything to win this year. Uh, that might be a good value pick. I'm actually going to argue that one on your uh, trade. I believe that the Montreal Alouettes this year, because that East is going to be uh, pretty much like the West has been for so many years, it's going to be a battle over there with Ottawa improving, with Toronto getting a little bit stronger, and uh, with Hamilton maybe taking a step back. I think that the Montreal Alouettes with Kahari Jones as their coach and with a healthy Vernon Adams and with a very healthy William Stanback, I believe that they're going to take a real big step ahead and I think it's 10 to 1, I believe, right now for the uh, Winnipeg Blue, or for the, the uh, Montreal Alouettes. Uh, let's face it, if you aren't going to get the value out of Toronto that you did like a year ago. Even the Rough Riders and the uh, Blue Bombers, you're not getting value out of those. The The Montreal Alouettes are giving you value for your uh, for your money there. And honestly, I could see them getting through the East. If we're going value picks for Grey Cup, I'm going to actually go right between the two of you and go for the Ottawa Red Blacks at 12 to 1. I think it's, I mean, they've overhauled everything offensively, defensively, new quarterback, new receivers, running back, offensive line. Like, you can't really compare last season to this season's team for the Red Blacks because there is nothing the same about it at all, whatsoever, pretty much. I, I mean, the couple pieces back for sure, but a new team question is do they gel on the field like they seem to on paper but uh tight east division uh slip into the playoffs there ottawa and uh make the magic happen at a 12 to 1 odds so trey you and me are saying that we're going to go back to the early 2000s and see an edmonton montreal gray cup yet again and very good chance of that i think uh you know i could see that you know i could see winnipeg and saskatchewan they've been hosting the west final for a couple of years and you know, I, I could see whoever gets that third spot in the West kind of pulling what the Bombers did in 2019 and going for a three on the road win. And same like you said with the East, whoever gets there could easily, it doesn't matter if you're eight and eight or nine and nine, sorry. We see, you know, the great Calgary teams get beaten the Great Cup by that. So I like your Montreal pick as well. And they could easily be that third team in the East and just slide on in. And basically out in the East, every game could be a home game unless you're going to Montreal, um, Hamilton, right? So. Fair enough. Yeah, and of course, we'll we'll get into uh, previewing each of these teams more in depth in the weeks closer to the season on our uh, season preview specials. Uh, but let's move on to our next topic here. Uh, I want to give a shout out to a, a guy on Twitter. His, his name is David. Uh, he is a, a teacher, I believe, over in Nashville, Tennessee, who has just done the best job at promoting the CFL throughout this offseason. David has started the Countdown to CFL, hashtag Countdown to CFL, where I believe he started it 100 days before the preseason. As of time of recording this on April 14th, we're, we're now at 39 days, I believe it is, until the CFL preseason kicks off. Does a countdown on Twitter every single day, uh, tagging, you know, usually showing a player wearing the jersey, uh, getting fans involved, getting them involved, getting players involved. Derek Dennis was, uh, you know, included a video in it. Even let me get involved in it. Day 42, I got to, I got to put a video together for him uh, for day 42 here on behalf of the podcast. Uh, went very appreciative of that. So uh, big shout out to David at DGTN Teacher on Twitter. Uh, make sure you give him a follow and uh, get all of his CFL takes. And uh, really kind of what the, I, I want to talk about this 
And another big thing on Twitter kind of in tandem here, and that is the Shy Ross backflip saga of last year, Edmonton Elks Shy Ross went viral for uh, doing a backflip and dunking an Oreo mid-backflip. And you think, okay, so that's wow. And then he followed that up with uh, just, I think, a week or so ago, doing a backflip while carrying a flipping barbell, which is absolutely insane. The videos went out on social media. The, the, a, twi- a tweet for it, uh, I believe it was uh, Troy Durrell with the tweet, shared the video. 2.5 million views of Shy Ross doing this, which to me, I mean, if I'm being honest, looked kind of dangerous and I was a little nervous watching it and thinking about what could have happened from it. But overall, what I want to talk about here is, you know, seeing videos of the player talent going viral, seeing, you know, very popular countdown by by a a passionate CFL fan, not not from the league itself, from a passionate fan of the CFL. Like there are so many avenues to market the league uh, that we're seeing that, uh, you know, a lot of it comes from the players and the fans themselves. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on this and, and kind of how, how the league markets itself? Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, got to say my uh, Mr. Ross, of course, is a, pre- a Manitoban. So, of course, we do awesome things like that here. Uh, just <laughs> I have to throw out the Homer stuff because people complain about it all the time. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think it's key. Okay, we're all from the West here, right? Don't you remember the, going into a co-op and you see those chips and they were the best chips ever, you know, the, oh, it was Buck or Buck Pierce barbecue and Dressler. Dress those were so stuff. good. Old Dressler, what, yep. What the hell happened to those? And like, what is the league doing not promoting everything they can? Like you, 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 you watch the Super Bowl. And yeah, there's the big multi-billion dollar commercials, but every other commercial, it's the NFL promoting themselves. It's the Pepsi halftime show. It's the follow us on Twitter or TikTok. It's always that. So how hard is it just to do free advertising on yourself? It doesn't cost money to have a Twitter account. It doesn't cost money to have a TikTok account. If players who make, you know, 60,000 to 150,000 can promote themselves pretty much with ease, I'm sure a league that's valued at, I want to say a couple hundred million dollars could definitely do that. So I don't, I mean, it was an amazing thing. And you don't have to talk about how like CFL fans know how talented CFL players are. Like, there's no question about that. Non-CFL fans are the ones that need to open their eyes a little more, but I don't know. You have a guy who's willing to do that for free and just for fun. Like, I mean, how do you not have a camera crew there getting something like, you know, well, how is Oreo not sponsoring him? No, exactly, Trey. I mean, you look at that, first of all, again, being from Saskatchewan, I mean, that's just, uh, usually we double the weight and then try to make the flip, but I mean, you know, it is what it is. Uh, Actually, I can't say that. I was sitting on my couch eating a bag of chips while watching that, I think, actually. Nevertheless, um, yeah, Shay Ross just did a huge thing for the CFL by saying, for any of the fans out there that say, yeah, the CFL, it's a bunch of bush guys, who cares, whatever. That should be exhibit A on every postcard whenever that is brought up. That's almost impossible. I can't believe he pulled that off. Now, you know what the NFL does, though. They, they've been promoting their players for years. 
Anybody remember the one with Tom Brady going and throwing a uh, football inside of the machine that throws a football? Everybody's seen that. I'm sure that was viral last mm. year. And Reggie you know what? The car. There's that old one where Reggie Bush jumped through the car that was driving. That one was sick. I remember I mean, that there one. There were so many of those, though. And yet the CFL could do the same thing. Look at our guys. Look at these players. Have Charleston Hughes running through a surfboard. I don't know. I'm not very creative that way, maybe. But have all sorts of things and showcase the talents of these CFL players. Uh, this should be a thing being talked about in the CBA with the CFLPA. If you help us promote this league, we'll help you try to take the next step in your career. Whether that be better, better wage, is it mean maybe getting a shot in the NFL? Unfortunately, that's the uh, eventuality. But marketing in the CFL always seems to be, well, let's talk the league. We'll talk the fans a little bit. And uh, we'll talk that we had a long history. It seems to be what the CFL wants to talk about. The, the CFLPA should know better than this too a little bit. They, they should be also pushing their players and pushing this talent in this league uh, in their marketing efforts because, really, these players are something else. Yeah, there's, there's so much I think you can market with the CFL players and highlight all over social media and build your content around that on the league website. Like, you look at the talent on the field, you look at the talent off the field. I mean, the athleticism of a guy like Shai Ross, look at a guy like Don Jackson, who I'm pretty sure, uh, you know, uh, has been putting out music on the side as well on top of his playing career. Look for look at uh, Adam and I, you know, when, on his little intro podcast, we were talking about Lamar Durant uh, a little bit, who apparently is like one of the top Madden players in the world or something like that. Like, I want to learn more about the ins and the outs of these players, and, you know, both on and off the field. I think that's a thing you can market. And I think that's an easy thing you can do on social media as well, you know. I think it's something that I would like to see the league get more behind of something like what David's done with his countdown to CFL. And I know some teams, you know, ha have gone and, you know, uh, pitched in a little bit here and there with that as well. But I would love to see a more official league backing. Like, let's get a league's official countdown, you know, 100-day countdown to the CFL. Heck, day one after the Grey Cup start counting it down for me. I'm ready. <laughs> Bring on the next season. Uh, I think there is a lot the league can do to uh, to push better mar uh, further marketing, get the get it out there to more and more people. And uh, I think you know once you can get somebody in the door, uh, the CFL is an exciting game, and, and I think it has the potential to keep a lot of those people there. It seems like the CFL is a sport or as a league that it's June to November from the league. You know what I mean? They're all they're all on vacation December to May, but when the day after the Super Bowl, that's all you want to talk about. The odds for the next Super Bowl come out. Or everyone's talking about what spring league is coming up. Their football should be 365. Even if you only play five, six months of the year, it's a sport that you need to talk about every day. Even the offseason. What's the first thing does ESPN open up with? NFL. You know, you got basketball, hockey, baseball, but they always want to open up with NFL. Why don't you do that with the CFL? Like, everyone... Everyone loves football, it seems like. It's the number one sport in North America, it seems like. Push it as much as you can. And you want to talk about a guy, that's interesting, a CFL player as the top player in Madden, or one of the top players in Madden. How much marketing would that be if there was a CFL mode on Madden? You get one of the best players of Madden in the world playing the CFL version of that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that would yeah. just, that sells itself. 
Yeah, one thing I will give the league credit for in terms of, uh, you know, how you mentioned right after the Great Cup, things kind of go silent. They have gotten a little bit better in the last couple of years where the schedule for next season actually comes out pretty soon after the Great Cup, which which leaves us a lot of hype, you know, gets us uh, gives us talking points. And then you get into free agency two months later, which there's a lot of uh, talk around that. It's these couple of months between free agency and the draft where I find things are, are a little dry. So I'd like to see uh, some more there. But I think that kind of leads us into uh, the next topic here. Uh, Adam, you had the next one on the board. Uh, what do you want to talk about next? You know, I think the next one that we were going to talk about a little bit uh, was the report. And this is a thing that Randy Ambrosi, again, the commissioner of the CFL, threw out uh, that it's an 11, that the odds of CFL expansion in the near future are going to happen. That being said, it, it's always talked about the expansion, especially out for Atlantic Canada. I mean, the schooners uh, or the organizations out there to try to build a CFL team, they've been wanting CFL for a long, long time. Uh, do you see expansion really happening in the CFL right now? I mean, let's face it, we're just a half a year or not even out of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Do you see it happening right now? Do you see it happening in the future? And what teams do you guys think? Or I guess, uh, sorry, cities do you guys think would possibly uh, fit for the CFL for an expansion? Well, that's wasn't there some big announcement a couple years ago that Randy and Rosie had that the scooters were coming? And then so they never really talked about it. Was it just COVID that slowed that down? I never really saw anything. They never said, oh, due to pandemic, you know, which again, lead us back to the transparency. That would have been nice to be like, hey, you know, this big global pandemic is going to slow this down. Don't expect the 10th team. I think the schooners have to happen. They have to happen eventually. Do I think it's going to be next year? No. Two years? No. But if we're going to look at other leagues and their expansion, the NHL got the 32. Those franchises, you know, Seattle and Las Vegas have proven that they deserve their franchise. How does the schooners not? How does Atlantic Canada not? They keep putting games out there, like you mentioned earlier, with the, the Atlantic Bowl. It, it, I think that was, I was going to ask this question too when I came to this. If the 10th team comes, how many more do you think, if possible, we could go? Because after the schooners, it's Canada tapped out. And then I'm not going to, I'm never going to say US expansion on this podcast, but what else is going to happen, right? So I think the schooners need to happen. It balances the league, it helps with gambling. You have five games every week. It balances schedule. You have five games every week, except for bye weeks. And then you still have four games, right? on those ones it just makes everything easier you can get a more balanced schedule like i think uh i think we we're going to talk about changes we think could help the league too but i'll bring it into this one too where you have a more unified schedule everyone knows nfl is on sunday no one's shocked that they turn the tv on and there's football on sunday the cfl needs to do that and i think if you have 10 teams then there's none of that uh, weird Wednesday games because you're trying to get a team playing twice in a week you're not you know thursday friday saturday own it north of the border. So I think the 10 teams is in must. Yeah. And one of the big things I'll, I'll attach to that is there is no more like build up the hype and then fall flat for one of the nine franchises in the league than having the week one by to start the season where everybody else is hyped up and yeah, let's go football's back. And it's like, okay, we're going to practice for another week, watch you all, and then we're going to start it up, right? Like, get 10 teams in there so we don't have a week one bye to start the season. I don't necessarily have a problem then, you know, if you get into scheduling-wise where 
there's some weeks where maybe there's three or four, you know, games where, okay, you know, there's certain weeks in the season where multiple teams are going to have a buy type of thing. I think 10 a great number for that. Balance out the divisions a little bit. Balance out the schedule so you don't have an 18-game season where Toronto and Hamilton are playing four times or what you had last year. And I know last year was a weird circumstance, but like Ottawa and Winnipeg not playing each other at all in the way that schedule worked out. I, I think you can balance the schedule a lot more with 10 teams. I'm kind of surprised, actually. I was uh, very happy, happily surprised when I heard Randy Ambrosi say, uh, yeah, it's about an 11 out of 10 on we're for sure working towards an expansion here. Because like you said, Trey, I think it was 2018 Grey Cup. There was a lot of talk around the schooners and they were focusing on it. I want to say it turned into there was a bit of hesitation around the stadium, I think, was part of the discussion around it. Then I think COVID did play a bit of a role in that as well, and, and talks kind of died off. And well, then you got into the past couple of off seasons, the CFL versus XFL debate, and then the three downs versus four downs talk. And it was kind of like more the focus was on, okay, what's changing about the league, not the teams in it necessarily. So it was kind of encouraging actually to me to see, yeah, we're still on board with the schooners and, and want to make that 10th team happen. Now, I think the other question that was asked before was how many more teams do we see want to see come? I honestly don't want a ton more. One of my favorite things about the CFL is that it's a small league that I can, you know, if I have a free weekend, I can catch all of the games. None of the games really overlap schedule wise. I mean, sometimes they slightly do, but that's a whole different topic. Um, I, I like that it's small. I like that you can, keep tabs on everything. Uh, so I'd be happy to see 10 teams, but uh, maybe, you know, maybe go 11, tw- uh, well, maybe go to 12. Don't go to 11 because we're back to square one then. Um, but uh, I wouldn't want to see it grow massively. You know, I believe you guys are right. I mean, the Atlantic out there needs a football team. You look at players like Brett Lowther, uh, you look at other players that have come out of that Atlantic region there's some great talent out there and they are very hungry for football out there. I guarantee when that Toronto uh, Saskatchewan game happens in Halifax, that that game is going to be packed. Uh, It usually always is. And it's always a good attendance at that game. I think that the Atlantic region needs, would support their own team and do a great job of it. Uh, And you're right. It balances out the schedule. So great. It does a lot of good things uh, for the CFL, like like you said before. There's no more of that uh, chance of crossing over then because there are five teams on each side. Uh, that being said, I think maybe later on, if we're going to talk a little bit about changes in the CFL, then I might have something to say over there. However, uh, that being said, yeah, 10 teams just makes total sense in the CFL. Now, this being said, eventually – do you want to expand the league a little bit? Where do you go? I wouldn't mind seeing 12 teams in the CFL. And Trey, I know you said that the uh, the uh, Star Spangled Banner would be a bad thing to talk about. I'm going to say this. In North Dakota, there is a huge following for CFL yep. football. In, uh, in those northern states that don't have NFL teams and never will have NFL teams. Let's face it, North Dakota, South Dakota are not going to have NFL teams. Montana, not going to have a, 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 or an NFL team. 
wouldn't it be cool to go there and maybe go and play in the University of North Dakota and play a CFL game, get these guys all excited about it, and then see where it goes. I, I think that there's an opportunity there for some of those flyover U.S. states that aren't really thought about as being football hotbeds. They love their football. And you show them a three-down game. I know there's a lot that are really excited about that. So eventually, not not anytime soon, and I'll repeat that, not, not now, but get the Atlantic one done, get it settled, make sure it's working well, and then consider something else. I, I almost wonder if you'd get like a mini Toronto Raptors effect out of doing that, right? Where the Toronto Raptors, for most people that are basketball fans and even even those that aren't, when the Raptors went on that run in the playoffs there and, and won the NBA championship, like, yeah, everybody in Canada was on board with the team, right? I, I, I don't think so, just on, based on the landscape of sports in the States that you would necessarily see, you know, this be, okay, America as a whole's team uh, rallying around the CFL team, but uh, maybe you do draw some interest from the nearby States uh, with something like that, potentially. One thing I was kind of excited about, not excited about, but I thought was in- interesting when the XFL talks were coming, that BC would actually maybe have a rival in Seattle. That And and that was one thing, because they're the one of the teams that are always left out on Labor Day, right? You got the yeah, Alberta, that the Ontario, and you can always have Montreal and Ottawa. And then, of course, you got the Banjo Bowl Labor Day stuff going on. So if you had the team like that, where and, and I don't know this whole hatred on the America thing. The Canadian Hockey League has how many American teams in it, and nobody complains. You know, nobody cares that you got to go to, you know, the the Vancouver team's got to go play in Seattle for a little bit. They don't cares. So if you have a team that I wouldn't do Vegas or Memphis or whatever crap they had before, but if you like, um, like Adam said, I, I really think North or South Dakota, Montana, and before the whole XFL thing, I would have maybe Seattle because they're big football fans there too, where they got behind their XFL team. Um, during their uh, Seahawks offseason. So I could have definitely saw that going. Yeah, Another one that I can think of even is Minnesota. It, it, uh, Bomber-Minnesota rivalry. That'd be pretty fun to watch as well. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that, like I said, but the big thing is get that 10th team in the Atlantic uh, first, then move your way around after that, but make sure you're settled in the Atlantic yeah, and, and once we have that 10th team, you know, I hope we see kind of a coast-to-coast bowl for those uh, rivalry games, right? That's the perfect one, BC, Atlantic, like if you're going to keep all of the others. And uh, I'll, I'll say if they're going to plan bye weeks, th- those Labor Day weeks and things like that better have all five games, all, all 10 teams playing on, on the big weeks of the season. And market that. Get a sponsor behind that, like Mark's Labor Day weekend, wasn't it, uh, many years, right? Like. Like uh, sponsor that out, get uh, get big uh, big events for it, those major weekends. Uh, we talked about it a little bit there already. Uh, changed, kind of teed it up. Changes we think could help the league. Uh, starting with you, Trey. Do you have anything other than kind of what we've talked about that uh, you wish the league, both uh, whether it's on the field or off the field, uh, would like to see the league focus on? Uh, well, you know, we all. I think that we've heard that there's been some minor rule changes talked about other than the four down thing you know the hash marks um the kickoffs and the holding if though i think those are you know pretty set on coming into effect this year if not already but one thing i like especially if there's 10 teams i'm a big advocate for moving up the season a little bit and one division 
Mm. And because because it's a, especially if we have ten teams, you play each team twice, two bye weeks. Easy math, right? You know, it's it doesn't it's not that hard to figure out. And then I like the one division because I really like what the NFL had did in their in their. Oh yeah, I took your thing, Adam. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were hinting towards it, and I was like, finally, somebody who agrees with me on one division. I don't think the East West thing is that of a big thing as we like to make it sound. It is like when I, 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 you know, being a bomber fan, I get just as worked up if Toronto Hamilton comes to town as maybe I do Calgary Edmonton. The only one team I get a little extra worked up for is of course the rough riders. But other than that, I'm just as, you know, just the same. So I think the East West thing, we got to whatever about it, who cares? We have the crossover anyway. So with two, two teams from one division have always been possible or possible since that's been around. And I like the seventh team in the playoffs. If you go to 10 teams, one team, the league winner, gets the bye, three seven, four six, or whatever it, whatever my math, two seven, three six, four five, and then you go down from there, and then you know you could have a Friday night playoff game, you could have two Saturday playoff games, work, you know, again on the weekend like the NFL does. Nope, that's exactly what I was just going to throw in there too. You're right. Have that seventh team in there. Especially if you're talking about putting a 10th team eventually in Atlantic Canada, it just makes sense. Three not in, seven in, have the first place team get the bye. And let's face it, it might eliminate some of this uh, whole thing of like a 6-12 and 12 team or seven and an 11 team making a playoff game. And you never, again, once you get to playoffs, you never know what can happen. Uh, if everybody has a prequel opportunity and you see a team that's 10-8 and eight and a team that's 7-11, and 11, you, you just instantly are being called silly. Because it doesn't make any sense. In this case, all the top teams are going to make that playoff. So it's it's just more of an even thing on there. And I know you've alluded to it quite a bit, Trey. The CFL really needs to consider, and this is more marketing maybe than rules, uh, changing the times that they have their games. I like that they tried something with the Thursday night football stuff. Everybody can tell you that hasn't worked. Thursday night is not a night to watch football. I mean, the NFL has now tried it as well. I mean, it's literally almost a joke of, okay, laser two terrible teams, let them play. We'll get this out of the way for this game. And unfortunately, the CFL gets looked at the same way. It might be your top game of the week, but it's considered, nah, it's Thursday night. Who cares? It's not going to be a good game. And you can't also be just doing scheduling willy-nilly. You can't have a game all of a sudden on a Monday night and have teams playing so much like, example, uh, the Edmonton Elks last year playing, I believe it was like three games in almost a week. Like, yeah. that's just not acceptable as a professional league, no matter how you do this. I know there's exceptions and reasons why it was done because of COVID protocols, but then you do something else. You get the forfeit. You do what you have to do because it just looked terrible uh, on the CFL to do that. But you're right, Trey. Friday, Saturday, do games then. You don't have to worry about the NFL. They don't have anything on Fridays and Saturdays on average. And you're exposing your league to a whole lot more eyeballs. You need, you need to own Saturday. You need to own Absolutely. it. Yeah. Same with Friday night. Like, why does everyone go to Bo or Boston Pizza on a Sunday or a Monday night? Because they want to watch NFL. Why does the CFL not do that? You know, make some, again, marketing, make some deal. Like, Boston Pizza is a Canadian company. You know what I mean? The owners from, or the founders from my hometown, like, just, do something with it, right? Like, I don't know, Matt, Ryan? <laughs> yeah, that, well, that's one of the things I would like to see as well is the spacing out, specifically come playoff time, because you 
you go to a playoff game and, and you miss half the other game, right? Because they put them back to back at the same time uh, or on the same day. And I don't know if the answer then is, you know, do one Saturday, do one Sunday, or do you do them both say Saturday, like you guys agreed? I think that's a better day as well than Sunday for them. But do you maybe space them out a little bit more so that they're not running back to back so that I have a chance to go to the game, come home and and still watch the other one. Now I get why they do it because, okay, they don't want you to go off, do something else and then not come back to watch the other game. Right. They, they think they're going to hook you in for, for two straight games there, but I agree on some of those timings. I think they, they could, uh, you know, work with that a little bit more on the one division thing. I, I've never really considered myself like a major, like, making a major push in either direction on that. Uh, but I, I do like kind of, I like the idea of the one division, the more you guys have talked about it here, because uh, I see it as, look, I, I in ter- when it comes to games, when it comes to sports, I, I, I like to see equity and uh, fairness across the board. And it's not unfair because it's within the realms of the game and the, the way the league schedule is set up. But, like, give me the teams with the top records in the playoffs, right? Like, don't have a team potentially make the playoffs when because they have a better location than another team. Like, don't uh, – I, I came to watch football, not geography, if that, if that makes any sense out of that, right? Uh, like, I want to see the top teams in the playoffs, and, and people have, you know, maybe concerns of, oh, it's always been – you, you know, the, it's the division rivalries. It's the West Division. It's the East Division. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers and Saskatchewan Rough Riders have been rivals for the longest period of time. And the Bombers have flip-flopped divisions. How many times now, right? So, and the, the rivalry didn't go away when the Bombers were in the East. And maybe it's a little more magnified now in the West. But a lot of the games they play are still Labor Day and Manageable, The same thing, regardless of which division the team was in. So if anybody's concerned about losing, you know, some of the rivalries. No, I think they're still there because it's a small league. And one of the things that I think actually benefits is potentially more rivalries coming out of it because you're not playing the same team four times a season, Toronto and Hamilton this year. You're not playing the same team, Calgary, Saskatchewan, three times in a month necessarily like they did this last year. And playoff matchups, I know you have the crossover, uh, currently, but you have more playoff matchups available to you when you do one division there and take the top six or seven teams. So, uh, you know, I haven't really been a, 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 the strongest advocate across the board, maybe maybe throughout history of it, but uh, I'm kind of buying in on the idea of one division here, as you guys talked about. You know, it makes a lot of sense. And the thing is, when you have teams that are crossing over you you get confusion and people don't you wanted to have it where the fan looks at it even for betting or for uh that sort of thing it makes it a lot easier to know that okay one through seven make it there's none of this okay my team crosses over if it gets more points and if it's uh if the other team doesn't beat me as much and and it just gets confusing with the average fan and i mean most fans just want to watch some football and they want to watch some very good football the best seven teams make it means you're watching the best football. Uh, so to me, it makes a whole lot of sense just to do that as well. Well, the way I look at it is you, you it's kind of like 
You look at the NHL because they have their stupid divisions too, right? There's no point in being the best team in the division because you're going to get a sec. Like I'm just looking right now, Carolina, they got either Pittsburgh or the New York Rangers. The New York Rangers are right on their butt on the standing. So what's the point of being first in your division? It's almost better for Carolina to play Pittsburgh. You know what I mean? Like you almost want to lose at times. And when you look at the 2021 season, what was the Bombers reward for being the top team? Oh, we get to play Saskatchewan second round who was almost one of the second best teams in the league that year. So what's the point, right? Winnipeg should have probably, if you want to be fair, Winnipeg probably should have played uh, played whoever the third, second or third team in the East was. Like if you were really doing it one through seven or one through six, right? So I just think, I feel like you're punishing teams, again, based off of geography. And yeah, the it, Canada, like I said, it, you're telling me a Saskatchewan-Montreal playoff game is, is not going to be as like, the only time that maybe a playoff game is going to be more hype if it was like the big rivals, right? Like, of course, Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, Calgary, Edmonton. But the other ones, like Montreal going into Toronto, is not much different to me than Montreal going into Saskatchewan. We all hate each other, you know, when it comes to on the on during game day, right? It doesn't matter. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I, I'm, I'm on board with it. I don't know if we see the CFL ever strongly consider that. I mean, if we go back to... Uh, you know, the teams voting on things that bring this full circle. Like, I can see there being teams that have benefited from being in a weaker division being like, why would I vote in favor of this? You know, like, why would I vote in favor, go against something that's that's helped me? Now, uh, one of the interesting things I'm sure we'll talk about a lot on our season preview shows as well is I think looking at the teams this year, I think that, like, Historically, we always say a oh, strong West division, weak East division. I think it's pretty balanced this year, and I, I like a lot of what I've seen from the East this offseason. So I think we're more and more maybe starting to see more of a balance across the board, which is good for parity, and I think would be a lot of fun if we see that uh, that one division there as well get some of those other matchups. Um, the one, uh, the final topic I have to, to bring up here, and, and this is one, I believe, uh, Trey, you had sent us this article, uh, shortly before we, uh, we recorded here today about, uh, three down nation, uh, putting out an article, a new survey camp coming out, uh, on the, uh, the most reputable pro sports franchises in Canada. Uh, which uh, was uh, a reputation study done by uh, a company named Lager, uh who ranked the top 10 at, uh, most reputable sports franchises in Canada. And uh, surprisingly, that maybe surprisingly, I don't know, because, I mean, the NHL gets a lot of luck, the NBA, the Raptors, obviously. The Raptors were number one on the list, right? Uh, not too surprising. The Blue Jays get a lot of hype. The NHL teams are a lot of focus. There's three CFL teams made the list. The Bombers clocked in at number 10. Uh, the Calgary Stampeders at number five. And uh, the Montreal Alouettes, the highest CFL team on the list here at number four. Uh, what do you guys think about these these particular teams making the, uh, the top 10 list here? You know, I was very surprised to see the Montreal Alouettes up there like that. Uh, I mean, let's face it, they've got a coach that it just screams that he's a great, uh, reputable guy. Uh, their players as well are improved. However, this isn't too far away from when this team was in turmoil, wasn't sure if it was going to make it or not, till it had some solid uh, ownership. Uh, that wasn't that long ago. 
I mean, it wasn't also that long ago that we heard about the envelope incident with Kavitz Reed, uh, that he was playing guy, paying guys under the table. Uh, I'm very surprised to see Montreal in there. Uh, the other ones, not as much. Calgary always has had a pretty good reputation for being a great team and always having solid players on the field and do some work off the field. But again, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, maybe I thought maybe could have been a little bit higher in this list uh, just because their players do do a lot outside of the uh, football field to promote the game and also promote the uh, even the province and the team as well, just, just to do a lot of things in the community. So I was kind of surprised a little bit to see Winnipeg that low at number 10. And also I was surprised to see Montreal maybe that high right now. Yeah, and uh, just looking at the reputation study. So clarification, what does reputation mean? Because I think we were all a little confused about it before as well. So we looked it up. Uh, includes awareness, team performance, players and their behavior on and off the uh, field or ice or court or diamond uh, and more. Uh, so, yeah, I think all of those things taken into account. I agree with what, a lot of you, what you had said. Uh, Trey, what do you think? You know, if you look at the seven non-CFL teams, I'm not shocked at all, right? Like, you lot the Raptors at top, and, you know, they're the, they're the franchise of Canada right now with their performance and the really only team that can say that they've won anything of value other than the Great Cup, right, in the All-Canadian League. Same with the Toronto Blue Jays. They could very well, you know, win this year. And, again, and, and the Jets, too, are always a team that seems to be uh, spoken highly of. But then, yeah, I don't know, Montreal being that high kind of threw me off too. And I saw Montreal was the top CFL team, but I needed the definition of, you know, reputable. And like Adam said, they, you know, they're not that far away from a little bit of a shady pass. So I'm kind of, and then Calgary doesn't surprise me. You know, one of the probably better teams and franchises in the CFL over the last couple of decades. And Winnipeg, the best, you know, one of the top teams of, of lately. And, you know, having a new stadium and having, like, you know, building a franchise so i'm not con uh, confused about the stampeders or blue bombers but i do really want to know what went into this survey a little bit more and where did they do this survey because yeah where's saskatchewan because you're telling me that you know the rough rider fans aren't saying that it's the best franchise ever so i don't think many people from saskatchewan were polled on this and I feel like any CFL poll is generally jammed by uh, by Riders fans, right? So things seem to trend in that favor. Or anytime you get, uh, hey, I'm a new CFL fan, which team should I cheer for? Rider fans come out in waves uh, when that happens uh, as well. But uh, the outlets, it puzzles me as well, especially we just got through the whole ownership deal. We had a, a stint there where the other teams around the league were, were owning the outlets because they didn't and contributing to it because they didn't have an owner. I, I wonder how much of this reputation banks off the Calvillo era, maybe, you know, uh, like if you think CFL names in modern history, like you're thinking, you're thinking AC, you're thinking Anthony Calvillo as one of the most common, um, I don't know. Maybe everybody was still was at the Ben Cahoon retirement ceremony and is still there and had nothing better to do, so they pipe put their votes into this. But uh, yeah, it certainly was a puzzling one to me at first. Now I think they've got a great team in Montreal. I think they've got a great coach. I love Kahari Jones uh, as a head coach there, and I like a lot of the players they have on the field. And uh, you often hear a lot of people say, and maybe this goes into it. 
that uh, what's one city you'd like to go see a CFL game in? Montreal comes up a lot, right? So maybe that factors into it here a bit. Are there any teams, I, I mean, we talked about Saskatchewan. Are there any other teams where surprise didn't make this list? Well, I can tell you one team that I'm very surprised, did, or that I was absolutely uh, stunned didn't make the list, and I'm kidding. It's the Edmonton Elks. Uh, they are working on their reputation as hard as they can now. But let's face it, I mean, lately when you sign a guy like Chris Jones, he's in the winning situation. Yes, that sometimes doesn't work well for reputation. Uh, he does have a reputation of bringing in players sometimes that are maybe the, he brings in the athlete. He doesn't bring in sometimes looking at the record of the athlete. He's done that. He proved that in Saskatchewan. Uh, Edmonton had some issues with how they let uh, Dwayne Mendruziak go, their longtime trainer. Uh, let's face it, I'm not at all surprised Edmonton's on this list. Uh, uh, one team maybe that I'm a little kind of surprised about, you guys mentioned them before, is the Rough Riders. But again, you look at what's been going on with the Rough Riders lately. Uh, their marketing team mainly has been just sell things to us all the time to Rough Rider fans. You don't hear them talking about uh, any sort of experiences or anything else to do with the team other than let's sell you something. Uh, and it, after a while, it gets aggravating. Uh, and players, they don't hear of them going out and doing lots of meet and greets as much as they used to anyways. They they used to do lots of this where they used to go to the local co-op. You can meet uh, Corey Sheets or you can meet another player. The riders have kind of pulled away from that a little bit. I hope that they get back to it, but they aren't doing as much off-field as, as they used to. Uh, and being a Grey Cup year and getting that excitement out, you'd think that the Rough Riders would be trying to do some of this stuff. Yes, it's meet at the Rider store. By the way, we're going to sell you four more things while you're here. And like I say, it seems like a great sales job by the Riders to try to sell stuff. But after a while, you look at what the Bombers are even doing. They're offering a replica Grey Cup ring for your season ticket renewal. That's crazy. That's awesome. The Rough Riders, hey, now you can buy your Grey Cup tickets too if you, uh, you uh, what do you call it, get the uh, season tickets. So, I mean, like I said, that's one team that you'd think would maybe be a little higher, but I could see why not. You know, I, I was thinking, what about the Thai Cats? Do you ever hear anything bad about the Thai Cats? Like, you know, they got, a, they got an owner who, you know, puts a lot of time into it, it looks like, you know, and they have a devoted fan base. And, and it almost... It almost seems like Toronto, that Toronto area almost leans more towards Hamilton. Wasn't it uh oh, wasn't it the GM of the Maple Leafs that he's a big Thai Cats fan? You know what I mean? Like yeah. it seems like they're the team from southern Ontario. So it's kind of weird that they weren't up there more. I wonder if the the championship drought plays into this at all. And I would be very interested to see the results from before the, the Bombers win those back-to-back -back champs of where, where Winnipeg ranks. I don't think they rank nearly close to the top 10, if that's the case, uh, based on what they've done in the past couple of years where they've really turned it around. You know, Hamilton has that drought. I mean, you look at the Toronto Maple Leafs, they are, are I think, sixth on this list. Like, if you think of, like, known teams in Canada like you're thinking the the Toronto Maple Leafs because they're they're considered the the main Canadian team when it comes to hockey all the media focus etc is on them for them to only make the the you know sixth on the list I wonder if part of it is that the 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 championship drought plays in that so maybe that plays into it for Hamilton here as well the other one also is though when you think of the Maple Leafs 
I mean, there is a lot of negative media also and a lot of negative hype about it. It's a polarizing team, mm -hmm. but in both ways. I mean, let's face it. I had a guy say to me today, this team looks incredible right now. There's a very good chance it's going to go far. The other person right beside me said they went uh, $33 million to play one round. <laughs> uh, let's face it. I mean, one way or another, they, they either have a great reputation or a terrible reputation. So I could see why they were where they were, but nevertheless. That's fair. You, you mentioned the Edmonton Elks and their poor reputation now. When it, take a look at these survey results. If they do another one two years from now, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Elks crack the, crack the top 10. And it is solely due to one man. And that's that's the new Elks president, Victor Cooey, who has done such a fantastic job. He's everywhere on social media doing everything. Like, he's all over Reddit, Twitter, etc. Like, he... You would think, you know, president of the company, he's got a lot of things. Like, we talk about marketing the week. He's been the number one marketing guy for the team. I can't think of too many other team presidents where I know, like, he's been on the job for, what, two months? I feel like I know a lot about the guy already. And I, I, I am not in Edmonton. I, you know, I, I do, you know, check in on stuff, but I, I'm not fully invested there. But I know so much about the team president. I know what he wants to focus on for the team. I, I see the positive effects of what he's been doing for the community. I mean, Elks fans are pumped up for this season. And go back to a couple of months ago, they were not. They wanted to be done with last season. A lot of them weren't showing up to games late down the stretch because they were fed up with the experience. Like, things are going to turn around so quickly. Uh, he said, I think he said in an interview yesterday or today that, you know, give him two years and he wants to make the Elks the Canada's number one sports property. And I think he has the tools to do it. No disagreement there, man. No disagreement there. I like. I was just thinking when you were saying that you know everything about this owner, and I'm like, you know, I'm a lifelong fan of the Blue Bombers. I think I've seen Wade Miller twice in my life. But you know what I mean? It's at the Great Cup parade. That's you know what I mean. You and um, and you know, I'm not talking bad about Wade Miller, like you know, but you know, in a smaller, you know, smaller market here, you never even see the president and. I couldn't even tell you who the president of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are. You know what I mean? And, and and he could walk by me and I'd be like, no. And Adam would be like, oh, do you know who that is? I'd be like, no. You know, and, but if uh, Victor walked by, I'd recognize him. He'd recognize his mom. Like his mom's all over social media too, right? Yeah. Like he's putting, he's putting, he's taking everyone and seeing his actual into his life. And that's what the CFL is, right? You know, um, it's not just a sports league to all the fans. This is, we're a community of nine cities plus. Plus a tenth on the way. Plus a tenth on the way. <laughs> Maybe more. And and fans all around the world as well. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's a, it's a, a worldwide uh, fandom. Uh, it's so great, the CFL, everything about it. Uh, I think we've gotten through all of our planned topics. We thought maybe we'd keep this to an hour, but I'm not surprised we didn't because we had a lot to go through and talk about here. Uh, is there anything, uh, any last topics you guys want to mention or should we get into the wrap up here? Uh, Adam, what's the over-under on Fajardo hitting the uprights this year? <laughs> I, I keep getting asked this question, and oddly enough, I go deaf every time I hear this one come up. I just, I don't know how that works, but I don't know. It's about probably the same odds as uh, Zach Calaro staying upright all season, so. Ooh. Ooh, that's, we'll see. You know what? I'll, I'll give you this. If Calaro, or if Calaros is injured, I see Fajardo being the West MOP. I'll give you that. And you know what? I, I want to throw this out to all the listeners too right now. 
I mean, let's face it, I'm the lone Saskatchewan Rough Rider guy defending myself pretty much at all times against the two Bomber fans here. Uh, I want to throw this out to you, Trey. We got to figure out a bet for the Labor Day Banjo Bowl series. It's got to be by points because, let's face it, it usually goes one and one. We all know this. Uh, we gotta figure out the uh, we gotta figure out some sort of uh, bet between the two of us on uh, who's gonna who's gonna win the Labor Day slash Banjo Bowl uh, if it's again by total points I would suppose because like I say most times when we go to Banjo Bowl it doesn't end well and usually when we when you guys come to Labor Day down the last you count last year it doesn't end well uh, for the Bombers so uh, fans if you're listening to this uh, throw it out on Twitter. Throw it out on the uh, on the pages, or throw it out even to all of our Twitter accounts, uh, and let us know what we can do for a bet between me and Trey. Uh, if it's Trey's got to wear a rider jersey, if it's Ooh. if it's the uh, I've got to go and uh, paint my face blue for a game and gold, and go to a rider game. Let's face it, the seats I've got it wouldn't end well, especially when I'm right behind the rider bench. So let's let's figure out a, a, a good bet between me and uh, Trey. Uh, let's keep it fun and uh, go from there. Uh, growing up along the border, Saskatchewan Manitoba border, I've lost the fair share of these bets. And my favorite my favorite one, I had to wear. It was a pink Rough Rider shirt, a girl's medium or something. I had to wear that first day of school. Um, <laughs> But of course, everyone being Rough Rider fans, and you know, nobody really—they all knew I was a bomb, the only Bomber fan. So that was the only real crap I got. But everyone was like, "Oh, Trey, you're a Rider fan now," <laughs> for an eight-hour school day. But I, I, I think we could figure something out. Yep. I, I'm so excited to be the uh, the neutral. Well, not the neutral. I lean towards the blue and gold, of course. But uh, I'm so excited to be the observer of the. The back and forth rivalry between you two on the podcast all season long. Uh, of course, you can catch all three of us all season on our weekly preview shows that we'll be doing once uh, once the season kicks off. Uh, plenty more off-season content to come uh, over the next couple of months as well as we get closer to the start of the CFL preseason the CFL season. Uh, if you missed it last week, we finished off our 2021 season deep dive series. Adam and I chatted Saskatchewan Rough Riders. You can go check out all nine of those episodes on the podcast feed. Uh, if you like this roundtable, I had a blast. I don't know about you guys. I thought this was a lot of fun going through all of these topics here. Uh, next week, we'll have another mini off-season roundtable discussion. Uh, we're hoping to have the other two members of the team, Michael Garrell, Brian Lowe, join in on the, that one as well. Uh, tentatively scheduled uh, for Friday next week, so probably out on the weekend. So look forward to that. And uh, like I said, lots more fun off-season content to come as well. You can find the podcast on social media at CF Countdown Pod on Twitter, uh, the Canadian Football Countdown on Facebook, uh, and make sure you check out all the other great shows from around the Canadian Football Podcast Network as well at CF Pod Network. Uh, where can people find you guys on social media? Uh, starting with you, Trey. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Trey MB Harness. Uh, that's my handle. I'm also the announcer of Manitoba Harness Racing here in Winnipeg. So, like I said, you always catch me at uh, one of the two tracks in Winnipeg. That's at Trey MB Harness. Right on. And uh, did I see that right? A uh, big, uh, big grant for the the harness racing this week, right? 
one million dollars from the government this year to help with that and oh everyone's excited there was a lot of you know when you see a lot of rural rural area people start crying you know something important happened right so <laughs> it's great to see right on that's awesome uh, adam how about you where can people find you yeah, no, people can find me over at Adam Stewart one over on Twitter. Uh, again, if you like stuff with agriculture, if you like stuff with CFL, uh, even senior hockey in Saskatchewan, I love talking senior hockey. Uh, anything of the matter, give me a follow, give me a like, and hey, give me a message, I'll answer you back. There we go. Maybe that's part of the bet. Maybe we got to get Adam to uh, mow a big W in the the big farm fields out there or something. Not not a fit not a $25 canola, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair, that's fair. Uh yeah, so lots of fun here to come on the podcast all season long. You can find me on Twitter at Cooper Trooper42 there as well for all my CFL takes. Uh whatever podcast platform you're listening on, we appreciate it if you do all the fun things like comment, rate, review, subscribe, share the show with your friends, help us grow the show. We always appreciate that. And uh, on behalf of uh, Trey Kolbeck, Adam Stewart, I'm Ryan Coop saying thank you for listening. Take care. Have a good one. Bye.